we weren't fully dedicated distribution models either. It was a kind of a secondary business, if you will, and, and it worked well for that. Uh, so again, much like the majority of these we talk about, it, it really does uh, get back to identifying your particular business process and understanding those before you uh, start to compare that function. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Do you know an ERP system that was once considered SAP from the USA? Do you know an ERP system from Oracle that has enterprise-grade capabilities for complex manufacturing organizations? Do you know an ERP system from Oracle that is still supported but may have an uncertain future? Do you know an ERP system from Oracle that has super deep functionality for F&B and pharma-centric industries? If you have guessed Oracle JD Edwards, then you are right. In today's episode, we invited a panel of industry experts for a live discussion on LinkedIn to conduct an independent review of Oracle JD Edwards capabilities. We covered many grounds, including its product architecture, evolution, release deadlines, and how it compares with other products in Oracle's portfolio. Finally, we discussed its uh, strengths with complex manufacturing functionality, such as several layers on UOMs, lot and serial numbers, and the process manufacturing functionality. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our industry series for which we meet every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We review one vendor or the solution independently. And uh, we always have an exciting panel who is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we are going to be reviewing a solution called Oracle JD Edwards. It's one of the most popular ones. Um, so we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. If you don't know me, I am your host, Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move to Dave for his intro. Thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting business working with leaders in the manufacturing and distribution spaces to help them create systems that free them to drive growth and operate with excellence. And I come to you with more than 20 years of various operational leadership roles, uh, including ERP implementations, including J.D. Edwards. So excited to be on this panel and have this conversation with you all tonight. Thanks. And I am excited to hear your stories as well. So thank you so much for being here, Dave. Andy, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? 
Absolutely. Thank you, Sam, for inviting me. My name is Andy Pratico. I've been involved in ERP software for all kinds of small to mid-size manufacturers all over North America. Uh, and I've written and published a book on uh, how to uncover the truth about ERP software because I've seen so many so many uh, challenges over over my career, but uh, I've been doing this for four decades, and thank you so much for inviting me. Of course, thank you so much for being here, um, Andy. If you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys post your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them during the show. If we run out of time, we will make sure that you receive your answers. On that note, Andy, Dave, I am going to start with the quick recap of different sessions that we have done related to Oracle. I don't know if we have any of them left in their portfolio. Probably this is the last one. So obviously we are going to be recapping uh, the corporate strategy based on the session uh, that we have done for Oracle. And then we are going to be comparing this um, uh, with the products in their portfolio, as well as some of the other products that we have in the market. So overall, from the corporate strategy perspective, uh, Oracle, the way they like to think about their products and, and strategy always is going to be, for them, the only reason why they are doing ERP is because they want to sell a lot more database. That's their business model. So obviously, anything that they are going to do is going to be very deep into analytics, very deep into the database capabilities as well. Um, the other things that Oracle really appreciates and likes, uh, they like to go after slightly larger accounts, really, really big ones. Uh, most of the products that they have acquired, most of them were very enterprise centric in general. Even though they call JD Edwards as their mid-market product, but if you look at the, the feature set and the functionality, that JD Edwards has, I don't know if a lot of systems in the market can really match that. So even their mid-market system is going to be fairly robust in terms of the capabilities that their product is going to have. NetSuite is a different beast altogether in general. NetSuite is a true mid-market product that they have recently acquired. Obviously now it's not recent anymore. I think they acquired in 2008, so it's been like what now, 14 years? So yeah, so that's probably the, the most mid-market solution that they, they really have. Now, from their industry perspective, their target market has always been the industry that are going to be really big on Java because that's their bread and butter and the Oracle database, that's their bread and butter as well. So anything and everything that they are going to be doing, uh, that is going to be around Java. And if you look at the Java ecosystem, and typically I like to think that most of the corporation, when you look at the IT divide, it's always going to be .NET versus Java. That's when traditional divide in the IT world. Now we have a lot more programming languages uh, that are probably equally popular. But uh, overall, from the enterprise system perspective, there were traditionally two languages. Even today, I think there is a clear divide in the market. Either it is going to be very Microsoft penetrated or it's going to be very Oracle uh, penetrated in general. If you look at, obviously, Java, the way it is designed, it's supposed to be enterprise grade. It's supposed to be bulletproof in general, in terms of, uh, you know, security. So obviously their main focus is going to be for the industries that are really going to care for that enterprise security. And that's how most of their products are built as well. Uh, if you look at the, the underlying security model, the way their GLs are structured, it's going to be, it, it's going to have very deep and robust security built as part of the product, the way 
they are going to be designing their data model. So overall, from the industry perspective, this also drives which industries they are going to target. So obviously, their primary ones always have been uh, banking, financials, professional services, oil and gas, energy, utility, uh, construction a little bit. And now with the acquisition of Cerner, uh, obviously healthcare as well. But all of these uh, industries are also going to be very, very, very deep into custom development because for their operations, they can't just buy any RP and run their operations. There's no way in the hell a telco company can do that. And they are probably going to have 2,000 apps internally that they need to maintain for um, as part of their product offering as well, along with um, their business processes. So that's the overall mindset that they have. Now, let's compare this uh, product, JD Edwards, with some of the other products in their portfolio. So obviously, this came as part of the acquisition. And Dave, I don't know whether you remember this or not. Last time we were having fun uh, with this particular uh, product when we thought that, you know what, they had acquired PeopleSoft, uh, but they had also acquired JD Edwards. And then they sort of ended up, ended up renaming uh, JD Edwards or giving JD Edwards branding. No, PeopleSoft's branding to JD Edwards. They uh, We were thinking that they called PeopleSoft Enterprise One just because PeopleSoft was much bigger brand overall. But now when I look at the Wikipedia page for JD Edwards, they are claiming that no, 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 no. This is JD Edwards Enterprise One. So there's a, so, you know, they try to rebrand, but I don't think uh, the rebranding actually got through. So there's a clear divide in the market. Some people think that this is supposed to be more of the PeopleSoft Enterprise One versus uh, JD Edwards Enterprise One. Dave, if you could have any comments there, I can take them. Yeah, there there was a period of time where that branding was, uh, you know, JD Edwards PeopleSoft, um, you know, but that's probably been eight eight years ago now, something like that in in that time frame, eight to ten years ago, um, and that's you know directly from uh, the application environment. So exactly, exactly. So on this product, obviously, you know, the reason why they had acquired this product is because they wanted to tap into. Uh, the mid-market, and if you look at the NetSuite acquisition versus J.D. Edwards acquisition, they were quite near, and which is kind of fascinating for me because they acquired NetSuite in 2008. This was somewhere around 1999 from 2005 or some somewhere around that. I mean, the time that they could acquire Oracle J.D. Edwards, I think NetSuite was already there in the market. So I don't know why they were so interested in this product because obviously they sort of ended up killing this one. Right now, it is still on the roadmap, but I don't know if they are actively selling at this point of time or not. Uh, but if you look at the overall product architecture, this is the most manufacturing product that you are going to find inside Oracle portfolio. And I mean, the way the product is designed, it's just mind-blowing. It's designed really, really well that I have not seen in any other products. I mean, when I look at even Oracle cloud uh, or the Oracle Cloud ERP, uh, it comes across as very service-centric product. It does not come across as the manufacturing product. We looked at PeopleSoft. PeopleSoft was very service-centric product. I mean, we were not getting the feel uh, of sort of the, the manufacturing distribution-centric um, ERP. Even NetSuite, I mean, you know, NetSuite is great. There's no question about that. But you cannot really use NetSuite for the industrial distribution manufacturing when you are going to have really deep manufacturing distribution that's where NetSuite is probably going to struggle. But boy, JD Edwards, <laughs> it has some serious functionality for manufacturing. 
And honestly speaking, when I look at this product, to be honest, I don't know if I have seen similar products, obviously, except SAP, which is probably going to have one of the most complex functionality for the manufacturing distribution organization. This is probably the most robust after SAP, in my mind. Any any comments, guys? Andy? No, I think you got it covered. I mean, you know, you've got your SAP, you've got your Oracle. Those are the two big boys. And, and the, you know, it's interesting you were commenting, about, commenting that they see themselves as targeting the mid-market. That's obviously relative to how you define what the mid-market is because yeah. their, their top-end product is obviously targeted at Fortune 1000 size company. So I guess anything below that they think is mid market. Yeah, originally, and I don't know, Dave, if you're going to have uh, JTAR on that and the com- kind of companies that you have seen, but I have seen JD Edwards being installed in decent sized companies. I mean, where Acumatic and NetSuite are playing at this point of time. Yeah, that's, that's been my experience as well, Sam. You know, three to 700 million. And, um, you know, just depending on how the setup is uh, in terms of the functionality. So uh, that's where, you know, I have the most experience uh, with this product at. Yeah. And the other layer that I would like to add is even though JD Edwards, Edwards is a very manufacturing centric product, I have seen it being installed in a lot of different industries. And sometimes that blows my mind because, you know, you have such strong products in Oracle portfolio, then why are they selling JD Edwards? to let's say the architectural company or to an university. They should be selling the other products which are going to be slightly stronger for those verticals. So yeah, so I think their segmentation was more like, okay, anything mid-market is going to go for Oracle, JD Edwards. And Andy, I don't know if there is a clear definition to be honest (laughs) of of mid-market. Everyone has their own definition of what mid-market means. Yep, yeah, I completely agree. So the other comments that I wanted to make about this one is uh, when they started sort of thinking and when the JD Edwards product was on rise uh, in the US, there were probably two different products that were really integrated. I mean, before that, all of them were primarily mainframe, uh, you know, based. I think RPG was the only uh, programming language that was there in the market. So even today, Oracle JD Edwards is very legacy overall in terms of the technology, the kind of technology that it uses, I don't think it has been modernized uh, to to the modern uh, stack that you are going to find either with NetSuite or um, or Oracle ERP Cloud. So underneath, it's going to be very similar experience that you are going to get with a lot of different legacy products that underneath they are using just the, uh, even in the Epicode portfolio we have seen, like underneath they are really mainframe. Mm-hmm. The only thing they have done is some sort of UI and that is powered through your sim. Um, what is that called? Uh, the uh, the screen scraper, I guess, right? Uh, that is the technology that they use to be to emulate the terminals and to get the data. So it's a very interesting mix there. <laughs> I don't know how I would feel, to be honest, in using the ERP system that is going to be using that technology and how reliable that is. But a lot of ERP systems in the market, they use that um, to plug in with those terminals that you had in the AS400 world and up, you know, you are probably going to see the fancy UI. Um, yeah, Dave, I, I would agree with that a hundred percent, Sam. I mean, um, you know, most people wouldn't realize what the underlying technology is uh, and how old it is because uh, out of all of the systems, at least that I've kind of personally interacted with, um, I would say that this is one of the better ones in terms yeah. of that UI and that functionality 
um, where they're making it feel like it's a, a much different back end experience than what than if you really uh, uncovered what was going on back there. <laughs> so I, I think they do a really great job of that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that ultimately moves forward and, and what they decide from a, a product roadmap standpoint. Uh, cause I do, I do think that there's a tremendous amount of functionality, um, built in, uh, and flexibility, uh, built in that this can be applied in, in, in many different scenarios. Exactly. And the other comment that I'm going to make here is I'm almost shocked. I mean, people, uh, talk how salesy Oracle is overall as a company. Uh, but I believe if you look at the technology stack, to be honest, a lot of companies are selling really outdated clunky technology and they are calling it as cloud native. I think Oracle is the only company that is saying that, you know what, JD Edwards is out. I only want to sell cloud native or the modern uh, cloud stack, even though if you look at JD Edwards as of today, to be honest, from the UI perspective, it's going to be very comparable to many other systems that we have that are going to be sort of legacy, but you know, they are trying to claim they have cloud native. Yeah, I, I agree with that hundred percent. All right, guys. So if you guys don't have any other comments, I, um, We'll move to the slide. So here we have some more commentary related to JD Edwards. Um, so this is the acquisition story, I guess. You know, we have covered this as part of our other session. So we are going to probably skip a little bit of history here. But some interesting details related to their tech stack. Um, so here they are talking about, I mean, originally, obviously, it was built for IBM AS400 mini computers. Uh, that was the tech stack that they were using. And then they switched to the CNC architecture and they are calling it as uh, your client, server-fed client. And then they finally ended up doing a web-based in client. Uh, but even today, I don't think they, again, they are using RPG uh, underneath a lot of that. I don't, don't think the code has been completely re-architected for uh, the newer tech stack, uh, you know, based on Java. Uh, they have not done that. So here, a little bit of history about their acquisition. So they are saying JD Edwards agreed to sell itself to PeopleSoft. And there was a little uh, you know, mix there. I think we have covered that as well um, during our session. But I, I believe they ended up acquiring this uh, somewhere in 2005. Some more commentary here is the majority of JD Edwards customers were medium-sized companies. Clients did not have large-scale software implementations. Uh, there was a basic business need for all accounting to be tightly integrated. And before that, integrating accounting was a big deal in general. So I guess this was the, when you look at the enterprise, when they called the JD Edwards enterprise, that's when they sort of, uh, you know, started integrating the yeah. accounting. And that was a big deal because a lot of systems were failing. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you look at the journey of JD Edwards, initially the founder had to come back. The founder retired, came back because they were not able to pull off the workload uh, of the, the integrated processes. And that's where the real problem is. If you are doing the siloed accounting, no big deal. Siloed production, no big deal. When you try to integrate everything, uh, that's where the real challenge is. So here, some more history. Yeah, so I think they are talking about how traditional ERP system was done that, you know, you were simply utilizing it for accounting payroll. Nobody was really doing the integrated. Um, and uh, SAP uh, was more of the European solution. And JD Edwards had the same advantage. That's what they are talking about, uh, you know, for the smaller companies. Uh, but they were targeting uh, the the similar companies, I guess. For SAP, they are saying that the the companies were smaller in size because obviously the European companies were slightly smaller. 
the JD Edwards was able to pull off the same workload, so which is very interesting uh, uh, history in my mind. Some more uh, history here. So this is uh, they are saying development began using System 34 and ND. I don't know if you remember all of these technical stack. I wasn't around back then, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, the 34 and the 36 were their mini computers at the time. Yeah, yeah. Using so, the RPG language with uh, IBM. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the, the most recent that I had used was probably DOS, uh, was the, and, and on Windows. Yeah, I guess that was the first one that I used. I mean, at that time, I don't think there used to be uh, a UI, but no mainframe as such in my past life. Okay. So here they are saying, you know, changing course in the mid 90s, uh, System 38, later switching to S400 platform, uh, some more technical details here, but obviously they were all green screen. Uh, and we still have a lot of implementations related to green screen. Um, it's just mind blowing that it's been 60 years, but people are not able to move away from those. Then um, I think the, the whole CNC architecture, that's where it became really platform independent and JD Edwards was one of the software that, um, they uh, could actually make it more of the platform uh, independent with integrated accounting, and that was the power. So in 1998, JD Edwards has roughly, what, 26 One World customers, and One World is the integrated experience. And I don't think before that anybody could pull off the integrated experience. Uh, was moving to medium-sized customers to the new client server flavor of ERP by second quarter 1998. Uh, JD had uh, 48 customers by 2020. 2001, the company had 600 customers. Yeah, and that was the, the huge hit overall, um, you know, the way the company grew. And this is probably the oldest one, probably older than, um, you know, your experience. And I don't know when you started selling, <laughs> but this is this has been there for, for a very, very long time. 1981, Sam. 1981. So J.D. Edwards probably wasn't there. PeopleSoft definitely was. J.D. Edwards... Might not have been, I'm not sure, yeah. but uh, so, it certainly became popular in the late 80s and in the 90s. So my recollection based on, and we can review the dates, I guess, J.D. Edwards was 1977. J.D. Edwards has started before uh, Okay, That's that my understanding, sense. but I could be off, yeah. No, that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. So here, within a year uh, of the release of One World Customers, industry analysts were discussing serious reliability, unpredictability, and bug-related issues. And, you know, there were a lot of problems when One World really started. At that time, again, nobody could pull off that integrated experience, I believe, except SAP. And uh, here they have some more details. A new web-based client in which the user accesses uh, JD Edwards software through their web browser was introduced in 2001. So 2001 is where they uh, got the UI. But think of the dates, right? 2001, 2008, we have NetSuite, which is just mind-blowing. <laughs> Uh, right, because we have the cloud native development now, and before that, they were not even able to do the ERP, I guess. So here they are talking about application version number eight uh, ten in two thousand five. Some more details. Do we have anything else? So they started doing a little bit of AI XML based, uh, you know, systems that were common around that time as well. Ninety nine two thousand one. I think that's the era. In June two thousand three, JD Edwards board agreed to an offer. And this is the date when they sort of agreed uh, with Oracle, I guess, in 2005. So they took roughly five years overall in that transaction itself. And that's that's what must have caused the delay for Oracle as well. They were thinking to acquire this in 1999. 
So they, they would probably get 10 years, but they lost uh, some because of the transaction itself. Okay, not much here. So let's move to the next one. Okay, some more uh, interesting details here. So JD Edwards One World Software transforms the buying and selling. So, okay, so there are some very, very, very interesting, uh, you know, correlations here. And I don't know whether you guys knew this or not. They were collaborating a lot with SAP Ariba, which is just fascinating for me. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, that was before Ariba was bought by SAP. And I remember the case study that we did in our business school. I guess the day that the, the year was roughly 1999, I guess, for Ariba. That's when they became really hot. But I don't know when SAP acquired them. But seems like uh, J.D. Edwards were, was actually collaborating with them very closely. And one of the things, and, and I am actually blown away. So they were not able to pull off the integrated accounting, but they were trying to do a lot of vendor collaboration during those days. Can you believe this? Okay. <laughs> that is just mind blowing that why would you try the vendor collaboration when you are not able to do your internal processes first? But here uh, they are trying to say through its partnership with industry leaders such as Ariba Incorporation, uh, Siebel Systems, and through the acquisition this year of Newme Hex Limited. And I don't know, Andy, if you are familiar with that organization. Um, no, J.D. Edwards delivers uh, uniquely robust and agile uh, functionality in the areas of self-service, customer relationship management, deep procurement, and supply chain management. So that's where their play was. They were really deep into supply chain overall when they started. Okay, so in terms of ranking, I think they used to rank roughly at number four, uh, but they lost some time, I guess. Uh, and there was a little history there between... Uh, JBA International, and I don't know, Andy, if you remember JBA International. That was, what was that? That was the ERP company as well, I believe, right? Or supply chain system. JBA? Is that what you yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was another another product that was, it was a competitor to JDE, but it was also on the, the uh, IBM 34s and 36s and, and eventually into the Ace 400. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. So obviously that it could get it could be very confusing with JDA. JDA oh, is another very company. confusing yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So interesting details here. Um, so here's some more details. We generally recommend JD Edwards in an enterprise application application selection long list for mid market and low and tier one companies. So okay, so so you have the figures here, Andy. Okay. So we have very, very, very specific figure, and that is 100 million to roughly $2 billion in revenue. That was their okay. target positioning. So now, yeah, <laughs> they heard you. <laughs> uh, okay, so some more commentary here. Okay, so I, I think there were some challenges overall in terms of shoehorning uh, the J.D. Edwards application. So uh, I don't know whether you guys remember this whole idea of creating the fusion applications. The reason why Oracle wanted to create diffusion applications is because all of these acquisitions came and they wanted to combine all of that in one product, okay? Uh, but then there was a little resistance from the customers because your service and product industries, they are entirely different, okay? <laughs> the, the way the products appear, they are very, very, very different. It's very hard to shoehorn product business model into your service business model. You can sort of pretend when you are going to be, let's say, 80, 90% product and maybe 10%, 20% service, you can probably pretend that, okay, you can somehow manage the service business model. But you, if you are pure play service model and then you are trying to utilize manufacturing product, good luck with that. Uh, you know, you are literally going to hate it. Um, so that was the challenge that Oracle had, that this was the, the true, your uh, manufacturing product, 
And when they started selling uh, Oracle ERP Cloud uh, or Oracle Fusion application, I think it was really challenging for them. So here, some more commentary. This is the RPG, uh, you know, commentary, I guess. But during those days, at least, J.D. Edwards was on probably on modern technology. Other products were not. Uh, RPG was supposed to be modern those days. Okay. So that do we have here. I think that's pretty good on this one. Anything else here? No, I don't see anything relevant. That's uh, pretty good. Okay. So now let's look at their screens. And when you look at these screens, when you are going to think, be thinking about green screens, AS400, then you are thinking in your head that it's probably going to be really ugly. But if you look at the, the Jerry Edwards product, even today, it's, it's one of the best. I mean, it's very hard to differentiate. Uh, between your Oracle ERP Cloud and, and JD Edwards. Once you start using it, then you might feel um, that, you know, some of these screens are a little clunky, but that's what you are going to feel with most products that are going to be legacy in the market because they all are using the legacy technologies in the in the backend. They somehow have figured out, you know, how to port this on cloud and, and pretend to be cloud. Uh, but uh, here with JD Edwards, I mean, Oracle is being really honest. Uh, in this particular case, which is really commendable. Uh, but the the funniest part that you are going to find, Dave, is, okay, even these guys are talking about low-code, no-code. Okay, deal with it. <laughs> okay, so the product is being shut down, but these guys are talking about low-code, no-code, which is just, again, fascinating because you are trying to pretend that you have one of the most exciting technologies, and the customers are not going to know, you know, uh, whether this is really a new technology or old technology. So I don't like it, the way low-code and no-code is, position for this product, but obviously they can integrate a lot of things and they have uh, probably um, sort of plugged a lot of low-code, no-code capabilities on top of your uh, traditional technology. And that's why they are able to do all of this. Uh, if you look at their low-code, no-code architecture as well, one of the things that you're going to uh, find with Oracle, everything is driven by table and views. That's how Oracle likes to think, okay? You are not going to find table and views in any other products. But here, you know, even your events, are driven by your table and views just because Oracle is a very database-centric company in general. That's how they like to think. Now look at that screen, okay? <laughs> so you guys are probably going to get a feeling of IFS here. <laughs> okay, it's that pretty. Even your Infor and Apicor are probably not going to be as pretty, to be honest. Uh, overall, in terms of uh, the, the, the UI, okay? Um, so that's how sexy this is. And again, commendable that Oracle is not trying to promote this product. Uh, other vendors in the market, they are promoting very clunky technology, uh, you know, just because they don't have an option, I guess, to be able to um, to promote the cloud-native product. Um, so here, I don't know if I have, but overall, from the layout perspective, it's 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 very elegant the way it is designed. Uh, now, some of the things overall, when you are going to look at, let's say, the menu structure. Sorry, Dave, you have a comment. No, I was just going to add to that, Sam. I mean, the screen captures that you've got uh, throughout the deck, you know, and kind of your commentary about how great it looks. I mean, I, what I would say from kind of firsthand experience is a lot of that is relatively new, um, you know, early on. So like mid 2000s and and even into the late 2000s, um, a lot of that functionality did not exist uh, so that is relatively recent uh, in, I think, maybe one either in the I'm not sure of the revision, um, the revision structure in there. But I would say probably within the last two or three major revisions has this kind of come to be. And it makes a, a significant difference, uh, you know, 
from a, an evaluation standpoint, because to your point, you get that look and feel of something brand new when the reality of it is, you know, this is built on, you know, an extremely old technology platform. Yeah. So just to be clear, uh, Dave, and I struggle with this one as well. When you companies are going to be using on-prem versions, typically they are going to be two, three versions behind because they don't really upgrade. So even if I don't know when Oracle started commercializing this, but even today, if I look at companies that are, let's say, using Apicore Profit 21. Or Apicore Profit 21 may have advanced. I mean, they, that might look really new if I look at the new demo or if I talk to Apicore as of today. But the customer that they might, <laughs> they might be using five, uh, you know, version old software, and that could be really clunky. So, yeah, so it could be the customer as well. So here, I guess the when you are in the demo, this is where I want you to pay attention, okay? If you are evaluating the software, because there are places where you can find whether the technology is clunky or not. And that's what you're going to find the way their buttons are designed. So they can probably change these screens, but the buttons are probably going to be really bloated, clunky, you know, fat, uh, you know, the way they are going to appear in terms of design, okay? Because probably that's very hard to change in general. The layout is going to be very clunky as well. So if the layout perceives as very window-y, then that's where, you know, you can figure out whether this is going to be a legacy architecture or the new architecture. Menu structure, when you are going to be looking at the, the icons, obviously that's going to have very legacy feeling as well. And as you can clearly see, even in this one, uh, you know, the buttons look as if they are Windows 98. That's how um, the buttons are appearing here. But overall, when you look at the, the, um, the screens, especially for the spreadsheet one, where you are going to have the item master, this is very similar experience to your um, in 4 ln in 4 CSI. Uh, in my mind, the way these screens are designed, um, even probably better experience here. And I'm just blown away that even in the clunky technology that they are able to replicate the same experience here. Um, some of the key pieces of functionality, I would say, uh, sales code, never seen before. Line types, uh, which is again, very detailed functionality that you are probably going to find only in enterprise-centric system. Family code, very food-centric functionality that we have seen in a lot of different uh, ERP system. And then purchase code at the line level or the item level. Huh. Uh, you know, it's very interesting that, that they have at least five to six different sales and purchase code associated at the item level, which is just mind-blowing. Uh, very, very, very deep functionality that I don't recall seeing even in SAP, I'm pretty sure SAP is probably going to have it, uh, but this is still very deep in general. Okay, so some more key pieces of functionality, uh, things such as your the package flag and JD Edwards used to sell a lot in the pharma verticals as well. Okay, so obviously pharma has very different needs overall the way it works, whether you are talking about DSCSA requirements, uh, whether you are talking about, uh, you know, the way your lots and serial numbers are structured, Obviously, you need both lot and serial number, and sometimes you probably need five different numbers uh, associated with the product. And you know, a lot of ERP systems cannot accommodate that. Uh, JD Edwards has far, you know, a lot more layers uh, at the item level built as part of the technology uh, that you didn't have to mess with the code to be able to get that. Uh, but obviously, if you have to go to IT, then good luck with that because you are dealing with a very clunky technology. Uh, but JD Edwards in general was very configurable product. Here we have some of the interesting, and guys, you can comment as well if you have seen these things before. For me, this is very new. So you talk about, you know, sales price level, purchase price level. And again, you are looking at the code. Sure, the code is there. But again, this seems 
slightly deeper than that. Then you have the configurator pricing method, which is a separate uh, drop down, the configurator costing method, which is a separate drop down, then commitment method. Then you have the item flash message, and then UAM conversion is probably okay. Um, so in my mind, I think it's it's very, very, very uh, unique piece of functionality. No comments, then I will keep moving. So here I have some more basket reprice group. Never seen that before. Again, maybe that's very common uh, in your food and pharma industry, uh, but this is the first time I've noticed a basket reprice group. Then order reprice group, that's very different, okay? So I don't know whether basket is really a kit item, but I don't know why that would be captured at the item level. I'm pretty sure they have different kits, but they have the, the basket reprice as well. Uh, you know, dispatch group. By the way, this product had very deeply integrated TMS processes, okay? You are only going to find TMS processes in the enterprise level product. Mid-market products don't have TMS processes, okay? So you are looking at three or four max, okay? Those are the ones that are gonna have TMS processes. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. This is probably the only mid-market product, um, you know, that has very, very, very strong and deep TMS processes. Oracle was always deep into TMS because they used to work a lot in 3PL space as well. Um, so they needed that. Okay, uh, cross-docking, uh, you know, again, you're looking at very enterprise product that uh, is probably going to support that. Uh, you know, you have the ranking of the inventory, margin, then the investment in inventory. <laughs> Never ever seen that before. Dual tolerance per percentage, which is, again, very, very unique. Look at the number of layers that they have for the unit of measure as well. Um, I mean, I have probably seen four or five, uh, even with SAP, I, if I recall that they probably had six max. I mean, that's probably what my recollection is. But here I can see eight. Okay, so you have primary, secondary, purchasing, pricing, shipping, production, component, weight, and volume. Can you believe this? And this is at the item level, all of them. Okay, so a lot of layers overall in terms of the serial and lot number uh, capabilities as well. But again, this product was utilized for very large pharma companies, and that's why they would probably need a lot of this functionality. So that's why you have the serial number required, uh, you know, lot stat status code, uh, lot process type. I've never, probably SageXP has that. Uh, never seen that before. Country of origin, common with most products. Commitment date method, uh, shelf life is common. Best before, sell, buy. But all of them together, again, you are probably going to find in the enterprise products. Manufacturing effective days, purchasing effective days. Now, this is the sort of the customization experience. And this is very, very, very similar to uh, in four, in my mind, the way this is done. And typically, the difference between your enterprise product versus your mid-market product is going to be, you are probably not going to have user-level personalization. Okay, That's very different. So in the case of JD Edwards, you have the user-level personalization. Now, should you use them? Probably not. Okay, I don't, I personally don't recommend <laughs> that everybody should have their pink or green screen for whatever reason, uh, you know, but still you have that capability supported. Let's say you have a bunch of group of users for them. Um, you simply want to promote a functionality or at least have that capability. Yeah, that, that's exactly where uh, I've seen value with that part, Sam, is you can create uh, those views and then push them out to specific user groups based on, uh, you know, process execution, functionality, uh, you know, what have you. And and in those instances, it does become uh, very useful and valid because one thing I would say from the user experience standpoint, because uh, of the complexity and functionality 
it is very easy to get lost. Uh, yeah. And there, there are multiple ways to get to the same place. And so that was something that, you know, from, from that user experience and, and training standpoint, that was something we were constantly evaluating and, and, you know, working to improve because uh, again, it was very easy, especially when you had somebody new just coming on board that maybe wasn't already familiar with the business processes. They've got two things that they're trying to learn simultaneously. So uh, that's the instance where it becomes, uh, you know, very useful. Same thing with the menu structure and those types of things, setting up favorites and all of that just makes that user, uh, you know, the training aspect and the usability that much more functional. Could not agree more. And, you know, by the way, internal A-B testing, let's say if you are trying to promote any sort of features, I think it, it's super helpful. Um, so thank you so much, Dave, for that. If you guys don't have any other comments, some more uh, comments related to functionality. Now, uh, you know, sold to and ship to at the same time on the sales order level. Again, very interesting functionality, right? Because you are going to have a different customer who's paying, then you are shipping to a different, uh, you know, sort of customer. Sometimes you have that functionality, but again, um, you are looking at upper mid product that probably supports that. Branch plant, uh, you know, again, uh, you are probably going to have two, three layers in most products. Uh, this probably can support five or six different layers. Um, you know, when you are going to have plant, branch, site, entity, division, department, country, <clears throat> business unit. So those are the levels that we are talking about. Um, hold code is very interesting. Never seen that before. Uh, you know, secondary quantity, secondary uh, unit of measure. Very interesting. I don't know where you would use that. Uh, but again, you know, you have a lot. Scheduled pick date, requested date, line, advisor, priority. Priorities, again, you are looking at enterprise product. You are not going to find priority with the smaller product. Some might do it, but they are probably going to be mom and pop. Um, and they don't do the other things as, as well, in my opinion. They simply have that. Uh, but this is going to be inbuilt as part of your MRP planning the way this is done, which is just outstanding. This is the BI overview, the way they're, uh, you know, the you are going to get the, the BI publisher with most of their products. That's how Oracle like to think they want you to use a lot more BI. A lot of other vendors have started doing this, uh, you know, and four is uh, uh, pushing burst, I guess, right? Uh, and then Apicor has their own um, BI tool that they like to publish, Microsoft Power BI, a lot of other vendors Power BI, um, Rootstock probably is going to have Tableau because that's what Salesforce. So yeah, so most vendors have some sort of you know BI solution built as part of that. But Oracle obviously they started doing this uh, because it started all with Hyper Hyperion um, that was really deep overall in terms of planning and budgeting. Now this is the TMS process, and and if you look at the depth of the TMS process, again I I don't know if I have seen this integrated experience to be honest. Okay. Uh, SAP Microsoft, I recall that they are probably going to have uh, Oracle in general. They have very deeply integrated um, CMS process. And here we are not just talking about, okay, shipping your shipment here. We are talking about intermodal planning where you are probably going to use a specialized, uh, you know, third party TMS tool. Now, there is a sort of argument to be made whether you want to use a third party WMS TMS because your ERP architecture is probably not going to be similar to your. WMS architecture because you are going to be collaborating with a lot of, uh, you know, 3PLs and you are going to have many different warehouses. So I don't know which one is the better architecture. I like both. <laughs> to be honest, they both have a place. 
but I do like the integrated experience. The one thing I would add to that, Sam, is, you know, uh, the installations that I was a part of, uh, you know, we, we utilized some of the integrated TMS, but also had some third party integration. And, you know, in some sense, it was a bit clunky the way that it worked, kind of to your point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, while there is a fairly deep functionality in there, again, it gets back to what are those business processes that you need to execute and how does it work for that? Same thing on the WMS side. Um, you know, in the instances that I'm familiar with, we actually did, uh, utilize all the internal uh, capabilities there and it worked well with our business processes, but we weren't you know, fully dedicated distribution models either uh, it was a, you know, kind of a secondary business, if you will. And, and it worked well for that. Uh, so again, much like the majority of these we talk about, it, it really does uh, get back to identifying your particular business processes and understanding those before you uh, start to compare that functionality. Could not agree more. Thank you so much for those insights, Dave. Uh, so let's cover some more, uh, some reviews, and then we can open up for the commentary. So here we have the customer example here. We are talking about uh, roughly 1,000 to 5,000 employees, which is probably, Sage is probably not going to have any product uh, because they don't have numbering <laughs> uh, in their product lines. Here we are talking about, okay, anybody who's mm-hmm. going to outgrow Sage, they probably come to Oracle. Um, so we are talking about, uh, you know, the industry's chemicals here, company sizes, to 5,000, which is probably aligned with what J.D. Edwards is really good at. In my mind, J.D. Edwards was very strong in food, agriculture, process, and tech, you know, processes. But the way the product is designed, it seems that they are probably equally strong with the discrete manufacturing as well. So they are talking about 12 years as a key user, as it is easy to customize when you need to update or update the ERP. Uh, Then we have one more review here. They are saying... 200 to 500 employees, oil and energy. My expectation is going to be that this user is probably going to find this overwhelming. So what are what is the commentary here? So they are saying JDE requires a good amount of IT help to make any updates or adjustments. This leads to upgrades happening slower than we would like. Uh, Apicor was no longer able to grow with us as our growth escalated. Now, I want to be a little careful here before calling out Apicor uh, in this particular case because we don't know which product they were using. Um, so sometimes you are going to be using very small product and you are going to call out Apicor, which is probably not fair to them. Um, so here, uh, you know, obviously they outgrew Apicor, but they are also complaining that this product was difficult, which is slightly conflicting in my opinion. This is probably in my mind when I look at these screens right now, it's probably the easier one, but uh, Dave, to your comment. Uh, if you look at the older screen, probably it's going to be slightly more different. Some more commentary here. This is the company that has roughly, what, 10,000 employees, which is probably aligned. Uh, that's where, where I would feel J.D. Edwards is going to do wonders. But this is the civil engineering. Now, my question is going to be, what is J.D. Edwards doing in civil engineering? Uh, you know, it's probably not a fit. Uh, but so, okay, so let's see what they are using it for. So they are seeing a majority of our cost controls, uh, revenue claiming, change events, forecasting, purchase order processing. And then they are saying forecasting modules used for JDE are amazing. It allows us to use best practices for claiming forecasted costs and revenues. Some, Without a doubt, their UI needs improvement. Okay, so they are calling out UI, but again, we don't know which version they were on. So it's very hard to uh, you know, evaluate this comment. Uh, but 
overall, I think the users who are using it, they will feel that the UI is clunky in general. Okay, so this user is complaining about security for some reason, and I don't know why that is. In my mind, I think JDE would probably have very robust security. Um, so maybe evaluate there uh, why this user is complaining that. Then uh, there are a lot of people extremely turned off by all customization allowable within each module. So yeah, so don't customize. Why are you customizing <laughs> if people are mad? Uh, that's a good thing. <laughs> well, that gets into that previous comment too, Sam, because from the user standpoint, uh, they do have the ability to uh, customize the view of uh, those tables and menu access and all that. And, you know, sometimes things get lost uh, that way. <laughs> and so I think that uh, potentially could be keying in on that point. Or maybe this guy was responsible for ERP and he had to <laughs> <laughs> it was a nightmare for him. That's why he's complaining about that. Um, okay. Um, so some more commentary here. So, okay. So this is the continuation of this comment itself. So here this user is saying pay a large amount of money to get this in contract in the order of 10 to $50 million. Can you believe this, guys? And obviously this is a very enterprise centric company, but 10 to $50, $50 million is still very high. Uh, it was a bumpy start and a bit clunky initially, but I can say now that it's definitely worth the investment. So this person is liking it. Civil engineering is liking it, which is mind-blowing in my mind. Uh, obviously, they did not have some functionality that they are complaining, um, you know, punching, etc. But, you know, that's okay, I guess. Um, okay. So here, this is the company, retail company, 1,000 to 5,000 employees. In my mind, I think this is going to be a fit uh, in general. So here they are saying they have roughly what six business units uh, and purchasing all of raw materials for manufacturing as well as corporate expenses and vendor management. It is also used for manufacturing management for two business units. So obviously, again, very global business model, different uh, types of business that they are able to accommodate in one system. That's where, in my mind, JD Edwards is going to shine. Uh, the second user also reported that interface is aging. So this is a consistent issue that we have. Uh, it still feels uh, like a 90s application. It does not provide the quick augmentation option like what is found in NetSuite or mm -hmm. cloud apps. So they sort of have a taste of the cloud native development. That's why the user is complaining about it. Uh, built to run on mini or uh, mainframe environments. And I am actually shocked that we never can get this kind of commentary. Let's say if you look at really legacy product, for example, Apicor Eclipse, that was a really clunky product, but <laughs> users were really happy there. So I don't know, you know, what's going on, why they are happy with that and not happy with J.D. Edwards. So I just don't understand. Um, here they are saying J.D. Edwards Enterprise One is excellent when you are looking for multiple smaller businesses to roll into another business for reporting and consolidation, which is what is the right fit in my mind. One more company, government administration. Why would you sell to government administration? That does not make a lot of sense. Thousand to five thousand employees when you have another product, just probably far superior fit for this. So here they are saying Oracle JD Edwards Enterprise One can improve the routing of job plans process and also increase the 30 character limitation. It has for the part descriptions that would be very helpful. So they are they have some sort of limitation. I have heard this in the case of SAP as well that they have a lot of limitations overall in their part numbering scheme. Sometimes that is to mandate, but description I really don't get it. I mean, why mm -hmm. you would have a limitation for description? That's does not make a ton of sense. User interface of the ERP needs to be more. So again, third comment on that, you'll get excellent support from them. So, okay, they are liking Oracle support. 
some more commentary. Now, this is the right field. Electrical, electronic, manufacturing company, 5,000 to 10,000 employees. They are complaining there are gaps that seem unfathomable to have, even does not allow us to ability to track a manufacturer of a part from creation to interco sales to interco sales to the ultimate customer. Not too sure what's going on there. Right, Dave? Yeah, that it for sure has that functionality. Um, I personally have used it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I think that probably comes back down to business process. Maybe there was something specific or unique about how that process would typically flow uh, that, you know, provided some sort of, you know, limited visibility for them. Uh, but that is something, you know, the one thing I would add that maybe would highlight that is, Part of that process was a bit clunky in terms of the multiple touches and how you were creating, you know, that intercompany move and, and you know, generating sales orders, closing all that out. So there are multiple steps to the process, but for sure it had the functionality, maybe not as elegant as one would like them. Yeah, two issues, I guess. Training, number two, is going to be licensing as well. Sometimes, you know, these things are going to be limited by your license. So I don't know, you know, that could be a possibility. Yeah, good point. It is interesting what the size of the number of employees each of these companies have, though. Yeah, could not agree more. Thousand to 10,000 employees. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to have some more commentary there in terms of what you are thinking? Um no, and it, it, it goes back to the original, what we've all been saying throughout this past hour is that, you know, Oracle is a world-class ERP system that's been around for a long time and it's evolved in my, and, um, you know, blended in with many other world-class ERPs to have what they offer today. It's obviously targeted at larger companies mostly. If we can say mid-size is 100 million to 2 billion, but I'll bet you their sweet spot is probably 500 million to 2 billion. But uh, Dave, do you have some more comments? Yeah, I mean, I you know, just tacking onto what you'd say, I, I I agree with you in terms of kind of revenue ban and and company size. Uh, the experience that I have, the the you know, employee numbers were smaller than that. But again, it it all depends on what the business is. Uh, it was an environment where uh, I think one of the user commented uh, in terms of you know several smaller businesses that rolled up into business units and ultimately. Yeah. Uh, you know, into um, several different entities. And it was it was great for that. Um, the environment I'm used to working in throughout J.D. Edwards, we, you know, had standard cost implemented. It was in a uh, manufacturing environment. And, you know, I can attest to, to the power of the data that it provided. Um, you know, definitely some uh, intricacies when it came to uh, that training, that user interface. Um, I was kind of surprised by the one comment about the, um, you know, the security aspect, because I always took it um, even, you know, having experience outside of J.D. Edwards, like I've, I, I always took uh, their user roles and kind of ability to control that as pretty robust. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to see that maybe, again, something uh, with the implementation itself. But yeah, I, I think it's a, a very feature uh, rich uh, solution. Um, and, you know, again, like we say many times, right, uh, when you have the right infrastructure and you understand your business processes, um, when you can get those two things in alignment uh, and you go through these um, 
sales demos and and uh, planning process, um, this is a great fit for for the right type of organization. A lot of a lot of flexibility, a lot of power, um, and you know, in some cases, probably people don't don't utilize uh, nearly what they could from a capability standpoint. That that kind of comes natively. Right. So it's interesting that Anders, who's put, who's uh, seems to be a pretty pop, pretty common uh, uh, a member of the audience in these sessions, which is wonderful. But him calling the low code, no code screen logic extensions, because when I saw that screen, I thought that logic extension screen was describing workflow, which I thought, wow, this logic extensions is a really interesting way to describe workflow. But I, maybe I misread it because it's actually was, looks like it was actually coding that I, that I was with the screen we were looking at. Yeah, so I think it's really the okay. So when you say workflow, uh, you know, I, I want to be a little careful there. So workflow is going to be more of if you are implementing more of the approval process. You know, that's Logic. the kind of workflow. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what it was, and that was the the purpose. Yeah. What a, what a great name for it, though. Logic <laughs> extensions. I thought, wow, what a great marketing name. <laughs> exactly. 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 Um, some more comments here. Uh, do you guys want to touch these comments? Yeah, this one caught my eye too. And and again, I can speak from the experience that I had and how uh, the line types were utilized in that environment. And it was really to make a distinguishment or you know a determination in terms of how those orders came to be. Uh, so you know if it was a kitted. Uh, order a configured order if it was a you know a pick and pack something like that that's how the line items you know were implemented in the instances that I'm most familiar with um, and in terms of you know invoice style how that applies to uh, clients um, you know customers and or ship points right you could control that at the branch plant level you could control it at customer and or the ship point um, obviously, there is some additional integration uh, to be able to execute that, uh, but that's again how uh, how it was implemented in the instances I'm familiar with. So, um, pretty deep functionality. Okay, do you guys want to touch this one as well quickly? Now this this one I am not positive about. I didn't happen to see that. Um, the one thing I can add to to this comment, Anders, is that. One of the uh, installations that I'm familiar with was in a uh, barcoded and numbered documents uh, product line. So think chain of custody, medical chain of custody, transportation chain of custody, those types of things. And a lot of that kind of number sequence, barcoding, all of that was handled externally because um, we could not find a good business process internally. Um, you know, through a combination of kind of additional, um, uh, you know, programming, if you will, and or kind of uh, static fields that already lived in the system. So all of that was handled externally. I don't know if that really answers this question, but um, that that was my experience. Andy, do you have any commentary on this question? No, before we close? I do not. Sorry, Sam. Okay. Um, any other commentary, guys, before we close? All right, guys, that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our industry series for which we meet uh, every Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another vendor or the solution. On that note, thanks, everyone, for tuning in tonight. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, thanks so Andy. much. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to the Chrysler.club. C-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R.C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about ND Pratico, head over to ESoft.com. It's E-S-S-O-F-T 
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Thomas Clymer, who shares his insights into the automated testing for ERP. Also, the interview with Richard Lavobis, who shares his insights into procurement prioritization and its impact on scheduling and inventory. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.